verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And then join me in verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Father, uh, would you help us? We don't want to go to that house. Uh, We don't uh, want to go uh, to the place uh, that leads towards death and destruction. And so would you help us as we come to the invitations, the calls of this chapter? Would you help us to come trusting that, that these words are gifts from you? Uh, That they are words of life, not words of death. And so would you help us to come humbly uh, receiving what you have to say to us. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. And may we be awakened and changed uh, by the voice of your word and the work of your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hummingbirds have begun to show up at my kitchen window. That's not the beginning of an Emily Dickinson poem. Uh, that's actually happening. Hummingbirds are, are showing up at my kitchen window. And, and as much as I love to see them, I understand that they are not there for me. Uh, they don't come to the kitchen window to see me. Uh, they are there uh, because they are attracted uh, to the flower that is blooming right outside of my kitchen window. And hummingbirds remind me of us. You see, to be human is to be a creature in motion, animated by attraction. To be human is to be like a hummingbird, a creature in motion, animated by attraction. Proverbs understands that about us. Uh, This book, as I've said before, it it speaks to all of us. It teaches all of us. But at the literary level, the voice of this book is pitched towards a young man. Towards a royal young man. A prince who will become king. And so it is very interesting and it is very telling That the climax of the first part of the book of Proverbs doesn't end with an information dump. No, this section of this book ends with two women. Why? 
because we are creatures in motion, animated by attraction. You are what you want. You are not what you think. You are what you want. Proverbs knows that about us. And so wisdom, while involving cognitive, intellectual understanding, that's part of it. But that's not the heart of it. Ultimately, wisdom is about shaping, training, directing our desires. Because your life is most significantly shaped by what you desire, by what you want. And so Proverbs doesn't just want our heads. This book wants our hearts. Chapter 4 says, keep your heart, guard your heart. Because from it flows the springs of life. So, this morning I want to consider these two women. And I want us to hear what they have to teach us about our attractions. Three questions. What, why, and how? First of all, what? What should we desire? Did you notice that these two women are both connected to houses? And these houses are located very significantly, symbolically significant location. They are located at places of high elevation. Now, in an ancient city, what was placed usually at the highest elevation of the town? A temple. The house of whatever God that people worshipped. And so even for the people of the true God in the Old Testament, where was the central place of their worship? Where did they gather centrally for worship? It was in Jerusalem. It was on Mount Zion. And what was at the center of that city? A temple. You see, the contrast here in Proverbs chapter 9 is a liturgical one. It's a theological one. It is a contrast in worship. We've heard from woman wisdom before in these chapters, but here in chapter 9, this is the first time that folly has been personified as a woman. But her demeanor and her speech sound very similar to another woman that is prevalent throughout these chapters. It is the woman that speaks to and invites the young man away from the covenant of marriage into an adulterous relationship. And she is often called strange and foreign. That's not xenophobia. That is not the fear of other cultures, of other ethnicities. Strange and foreign is about worship. It is about other gods, not other cultures. What is strange and foreign is what could potentially attract God's people away from him to other gods, to false gods. Adultery in the Bible is the most common way to speak of idolatry, the worship of false gods. And so what does Proverbs want us to want? What does Proverbs want us to desire? This book wants us 
to desire a worshiping life that pulls us away from false gods and towards the true one. This book wants our longings to propel us towards the God who reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In short, Proverbs wants us to want, ultimately, God. This book wants us to want God. Now notice the choice here, the contrast here. It is not the choice between worshiping and not worshiping. There's a famous speech given at Kenyon College by the author David Foster Wallace. And in it he says, In the trenches of day-to-day adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. Everybody Worships. That's a man who wasn't a Christian saying a very Christian thing. Everybody worships. You will, in your longings, give yourself to something ultimate. You will look to a person, to a substance, to a career, to a cause, ultimately for... Meaning, security, and direction. Everybody worships. The question simply is, who or what will you worship? Will you, in your longings, wisely move towards the true God? Or will you, in your longings, foolishly move to a myriad of false ones. Everybody worships. And Proverbs wants our worshiping impulse to direct us towards the true God. But with those options in front of us, why should we want what Proverbs wants for us? If we should desire God, why should we desire Well, we could certainly and truly say he deserves it, right? He deserves it. He is the worthiest goal of human desire, of human longings. God deserves for us to desire him. But that's not the strategy of this chapter. Can you hear? Can you feel the romance? In Proverbs chapter 9. That's the strategy. Proverbs chapter 9 uses romance. To shape and to direct our desires. These women, they're not only connected to houses. They also both offer meals. Food and drink. These are not meals of sustenance. They are meals of... Of seduction. They are meals of relationship. Both of these tables, both of these tables offer intimacy, invite profound connection 
embrace. It is not, it's not that folly offers passionate romance and wisdom offers something else. It's that they offer differing, competing, romantic relationships. These women are wooing the young man. They are wooing his desires. So think about this. If these houses are houses of worship, why should we desire the true God? Because this invitation extends to us not only the message of God's power and authority, but the possibility of intimacy with Him. Of a closeness to the Creator of the universe which will empower us for true life. You see, these two seductions, they are two potential relationships. One is hidden and false, and it is ultimately fellowship with the dead. But the other is the embrace not just of wisdom, but the source of wisdom, which is ultimately a communion that empowers the truest life. There's a study done on coal miners in West Virginia. And this study asks them, would you want anyone you love to become a coal miner? And to a person they said, no. It's too dangerous. It's too harmful. Then they were asked, would you, if you had to do it over again, become a coal miner? And a shocking majority of them said yes. And when asked why, they said, because of the bonds that are created, the relationships, the conversations that happen the connection to another human being that happens when you are placed in that situation. God extends to us a much profounder life-giving bond. A deep and a life-giving connection to Him. We should desire Him Because he first desired us. God doesn't need us. God is perfectly self-sufficient. But he chooses us to create us. He chooses to make us. He chooses to want communion with us. That's why we should desire him. It's interesting in the Bible... The first time scripture speaks of God pouring out wisdom on someone, it, it's speaking of two men named Bezalel and, Ahol, and Oholiah. If I knew I'd miss that one. <laughs> Strange names. These two men, they were craftsmen. In essence, they were contractors. And they had been tasked with the building project. 
They had been tasked with building a mobile home, a tabernacle, so that God's presence could dwell with his people as they wandered around the wilderness on their way to the promised land. God pours out his wisdom to enable them to build that building. And that building wasn't just a place of praise. It was a place with bread and water and wine and meat. Why? Because it was about the potential of communion with God. It was about a life-giving connection to His presence. That building was God's romantic gesture to his people and through his people to the world. The potential of intimacy with our creator. That's why we should want him. Because in his grace, he has pursued He has wanted us. But there's a problem. Here's the problem. The problem is Solomon. Remember Solomon? Solomon was a really wise person. He had a lot of wisdom. In fact, his name is on the byline of this book about wisdom. And Solomon, in his wisdom, designed and built the temple that replaced the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And he saw God's glorious presence descend on that temple. And he worshipped there. But 1 Kings tells us that he also loved many foreign women. Again, the problem of foreign is not culture or ethnicity. It's a problem of idolatry. It's a problem of false worship. Worship of false God's. And as a result, his heart was turned away from God. And he began to build competing high places where other gods were worshipped. And he sowed the seeds of idolatry, division, and judgment for the people of God. And you see, Solomon, he is evidence of what is true about all of us. Because of sin, in our longings, in our desires, in our hearts, we are by nature inclined away from God rather than towards us. Our natural drift is away from Him towards other and false loyalties and worships. So, even knowing what, and even knowing why, we have to ask how. If we should desire God, how is that possible? If even Solomon, with all of his wisdom and all of his experiences, turns in his desire away from him, how can we want God? Well, the hint is already there in the tabernacle and the temple. 
You see, we'll never be able to scare up enough longings in us to move us towards God. No, we need His movement towards us. We need His movement towards us. His desire for us is not only the reason for our desire, it will also be the cause for our desire. And God moved towards the world, not just in the tabernacle and temple in the Old Testament. But he has finally moved towards us with the true temple. God, not in a building, but in a body. The eternal son become flesh in Jesus. And think about this. If you're doing community Bible reading with us, where did we find the true temple this week? Where did we find Jesus this week in Matthew chapter 9? He was sitting at a table. He was reclining and eating and drinking. And who was at that table with him? Really wise people with pure longings for God? Sinners like us. People whose desires and decisions had gone in all the wrong directions. Jesus was sitting there as the healing presence of God for them. The Gospel of John begins by saying the Word became flesh. Jesus became the true tabernacle, the true temple. And how does He begin His ministry? Wine at a wedding feast. Turning water into wine at the celebration of romance. And then we learn throughout that book that He is the bread of life. That He is the giver of living water. That He is the lamb, the meat of the Passover feast. And then as he sits at that Passover feast with his disciples, what does he tell them? He says, I'm going away. I'm going to die. Rise. I'll ascend to my Father who is in heaven. But in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place, a house of life for you. And then John, as he writes of that future... In the book of Revelation, he says that all of history will culminate in a romantic meal. A feast with the Lamb and His bride, the church, us, those who believe and belong to Jesus. See, Jesus builds a better house. Jesus sets a better table than even woman wisdom. And not only with his words, but with his scarred body, he says to us, come, eat and drink. I heard a presentation recently about the treatment of and recovery from addiction. And the presenter was talking about how important 
relationships are for those who are recovering from addictions. This is central inside of the 12-step movement that you need bonding relationships to help the breaking of the bonds of that addiction. And this presenter, he said, you know, it doesn't work to yell at addicts. It doesn't work to fuss at them. He says, rather, instead, we need to sing love songs to them, inviting them away from those harmful attachments into healthy connections. That's what God has done for us. We are addicts, all of us. Desires gone awry. But God, through His Son, sings to us a love song that invites us away from those destructive attachments and invites us into the life-giving connection with Him. You see, the gospel... The message about Jesus, that's the flower that should attract our lives. That's the beauty. That's the nectar that should attract our lives. And not only that, the good news of the gospel is not only that, it is that God has also poured out His Spirit on us. Who is the one who awakens us and animates us, leads us to that true beauty and nourishment? You will learn to desire God by looking to Jesus. Your longings will be transformed, they will be redirected as you hear His invitation. And as you daily, not just one time, but daily receive who He is and what He has done for you. And so, creatures in motion, will you hear His invitation? Will you receive His embrace? Will you let Him Teach you to see and seek the beauty and the nurture of who God is for you. Let's pray.